This is the Visionary Podcast. Welcome to the Visionary Podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Lawson, and today I'm joined by Kate Brennan. Kate, thank you so much for coming on. How are Absolutely. you? Absolutely. Great. <laughs> Amazing. Okay, so this is a little bit about Kate. She graduated from Lemoyne, um, where she played basketball and she studied literature and communications. Um, later on, she went on to be a journalist in the central New York area for about two years. Then she went to graduate school at Drew University, where she coached and got her master's in women's study. She enjoyed a long-term head coach position at coaching girls lacrosse at Sparta Township Public School in New Jersey, where she was even named Coach of the Year. Now, what do you teach? I teach English and women's studies. Amazing. So I met Kate over the course of the week of a stinky kid-filled basketball camp um, (laughs) where we both coached and really babysat. but I only meeting her once, I know that she is a lifelong learner, um, very curious and caring and an Im- incredibly impactful leader, ally and mentor who has touched the lives of countless young people. So Kate, thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. I'm extremely grateful for you coming on today. So thanks for, for making the time. Or I'm flattered that you would even be interested. So <laughs> yes, of course. Okay, so something that stuck out to me right as like the moment I met you and your best friend uh, Mary was both of your energies were just off the charts you really brought it and you guys were in charge of the young kids there Um, I think ages five maybe starting at age five to eight or so was like your um, area so I kind of want to know from you how do you bring that energy and I'm assuming you bring that energy all the time so how do you kind of keep up on the energy and what's your mindset behind that? We start the school day at 7, 7.15 is when the first bell rings. And I live an hour from where I teach. So I'm up at 4.30 every day. And I've always been a morning person. Um, you know, if I'm awake during the daylight, uh, when I was a kid, my father used to tell us if we slept in on the weekends that we were burning daylight. And I didn't realize what he meant until I became an adult and I understood you know, each day offers an opportunity for you to do any number of wonderful things that you make space for. And when I was up at the camp with you, this was a, an opportunity that Mary and I don't get very often because we live four and a half hours apart. And, you know, you, she has kids and we're both super busy. So when we get the time to spend with each other, we're very present in those moments. And the fact that we got the chance to work a camp together for five days. I mean, we haven't spent five days together, oh my God, in in 15 years. So it was just just a chance to get up and have coffee and chat with her and then, you know, spend the day with her working with kids and getting to see how she works with kids because I've seen her raise her kids and she's an amazing mother. It was so fascinating and wonderful for me. So I think she brought that same kind of energy and, and we both have the same outlook on life, like you know, you can sleep when you're dead, you know, every, every day you have a chance to explore and grow and learn. And so why not take advantage of that? I really do see every day as a gift. And, 
you know, even if it's like today in New Jersey, I don't know what the weather's like up by you, but Not good. You know, right. So we both woke up to a little gloomy weather outside. And I don't know if it's my Irish heritage or what, but like, I don't look at that and be like, oh, okay, let's go back to sleep. I look at that and be like, oh my God, let's get up and write. Let's, let's read. Let's, you know, um, uh, explore some recipes for this afternoon. You know, when any, I'm never bored and I enjoy every wakeful hour I get because it's a chance to live life. And I think, especially now living in a pandemic in a global situation that is really dire all over the place. And it's hard to know that kind of sadness and suffering is going on. So I think it's kind of like an obligation to make the most out of every day because so many people don't have the opportunities that I have. What is the first thought that crosses your mind every morning? Coffee. Coffee? <laughs> yeah. I think that's kind of, that's an example of like how I, I think I live. When I wake up and I open my eyes, I'm like, oh, I'm tired. My first thought is like, yeah, but you can get up and you can have a wonderful cup of coffee and you can read the New York Times and you can play with the dog. And it's like, those are things that really go through my mind before I get out of bed. It's the little things. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Okay. So you talked about a little bit about Mary. Um, how impactful has she been in who you are informing who you are as a person? I know you two met in college. You want to just touch a little bit on that? Yeah, Mary, um, she's an extraordinary woman and has been since the moment I met her. When we met, we met as freshmen and we met because my, because of the size of our feet, she sat, I believe she was in front of me. And I sat behind her and I, in a classroom, despite the fact that I'm a teacher, (laughs) I do know I've learned very well the type of student I am. And I don't know that I'm the type of student that teachers want to work with because I always sit in the way back. I always like slunch in my chair, you know, my body language communicates like, oh, I'm uncomfortable, which is awful. But um, I was leaning back in my chair and I had a huge chip on my shoulder when I was a freshman in college because I had left New Jersey with... Uh, my parents had split up when I was at a pretty bad age and then um, both remarried. My mom remarried my senior year in high school and moved us into a new house with her husband's kids. And altogether there were nine children. And it was like, and I love my mother, I adore her. But at that point in my life, I was just counting the minutes until I could get out of that house and start a new life. And so Syracuse for me was a brand new chapter and I was so excited to get there, but I was very, still very angry at the world. And so my body language communicated that. And as I was slouching in the back of my chair, I put my foot up next to hers and Mary still wears children's shoes. Her feet are so small and my feet are enormous. And I was like, oh my God. And I'm not going to curse here on your podcast, but there was cursing. (laughs) So I was like, oh my God, you have such small feet. She's like, oh my God, it's such big feet. And she was like, I'm Mary. And I was like, I'm Kate. (laughs) So we got to chatting and I mean, instantly I was like this woman, and you can see it in her eyes. You see her energy in her face and her eyes are a portal to that. And they were very much that when she was 18 years old. And I saw that and recognized that we became instant friends. Um, And because she was an English major as well, we had a number of classes together. So like, as we made our way through the four years of college, I went through a really hard time and 
I was closeted in my college experience and was afraid to make connections with other people because I was afraid other people were going to you know, know that secret about me. And um, Mary was really my only friend, like uh, the only person that I considered a true, true friend outside of my relationship with my girlfriend at the time and my basketball teammates. Like we were all really close, but none of them knew the secret about me. And Mary was the first person I confided in. Um, and it was very hard to do, but I mean, the love and acceptance was unconditional and it has been unconditional ever since. And we have been through a lot of ups and downs together. Um, the way that we, every now and again, we'll joke about it, um, that we're in a boat and, you know, when I'm having a hard time, she takes over the rowing when she's having a hard time, I take over the rowing and we, we are, always there to take care of each other no matter what and to have that kind of a friendship for this many years and to know it and trust it and be able to rely on it I mean I could cry telling you about it now I think that's so it's, powerful it is and it's really really special I hope that for you I hope you have a friend in your life that you can cherish throughout your adulthood and, and she's a part of my family her children call me and Kate <laughs> I am madly in love with them and it has been so beautiful to watch them grow up and so I'm I mean she has informed a great deal of you know who I am and how I navigate the world and she has always given me fantastic advice and leadership and I'm just thankful to be on the other end of that that is so amazing and I definitely, I feel that the row, like the row the boat, I think it was maybe a mentor of mine, a close family friend. Um, yeah. And he told me something about how you have to have the people in your car and you have to know who is in your car with you on that trip. So I think it's definitely super important to know who those people are. Even if the car is small, that's fine. You know what I mean? Almost yep. like the smaller, the more tight knit, the better. You talked a little bit about leadership style already. I would like to know from you, what would you say your leadership style is? I think my leadership style is ever evolving. And that is really important because the people that you lead is always changing, that they don't always say the same, especially in education. And so I think it's important to, at least for me as a leader, to know that, you know, I'm the one they're looking to for guidance. And the only way I can really guide them is to truly know them. It's important to know that because I, I mean, I come across, I'm sure as a person, if, you know, coaches, when they meet me, they think, you know, I can get in her face and I can scream at her and I can push her. And that's not who I am as an athlete. I didn't respond well to that. And I was thankful to have a college coach that heard me when I was a freshman, he came out. I mean, he saw potential in me and he pushed me really, really hard. And, um, and I kind of shut down a little bit and he came and found me in the library one, uh, one evening and he was never on campus at night that I recall and he yeah. sat down and he was like Katie I, I don't know what what's going on with you and you know what can I do and I was like coach I don't I don't really love it when you get in my face and you embarrass me in front of the team like I don't respond well to that like so maybe I know I come across as tough but you know I'm still I'm, I'm a little gentler than you think and he I guess he's the one who taught me how to be this kind of a coach like he heard me and he adjusted and I had four wonderful years with him. He's still one of my favorite people in the world. So like I learned how to be a leader from him and I paid attention. Um, I think when you're working with young people, 
the most important thing is that they can trust you and they, they have boundaries. When you're here, I want you to be present. And if you're not present, then we're going to talk about that. And, oh, you know, the first week of school, oftentimes students are like, wow, this lady's a little bit crazy or, you know, um, oh, she's got a lot of energy, but I always tell them like, my goal is to make it so that by the time we get to October, this is your favorite class. And I like to think that my students emerged saying that they had a really good experience in our classroom. Cause it's ours. It's not mine. It's ours. I know uh, I would. No, thank you. <laughs> Yeah, But I think, you know, like, think about it. I think most people do really well when they have boundaries. Like when you come to a practice and you're like, God, I don't know what to expect from this coach. She's so volatile. Like, I don't know who she's going to be today. Jekyll or Hyde. Are we going to run? Are we going to, and, and that's not, I, I might want my players to always know we're going to go from this time to this time. Yeah. I respect the fact that you might have jobs after practice. You have families like on the weekends, I'm going to try to make it so that there are no Sunday practices unless we have a game on Monday. That's your time. I will work around your work schedules as best I can. But when you're here, I want you to be present. And we started this this summer actually at my lacrosse camp um, because I've been doing Peloton and I've been, I'm a Cody fan. He starts every workout talking about intentions and he ends every workout talking about gratitude. And I established that with my girls, my, a lot of my players work my lacrosse camp this summer with the little ones in the district. And we started every day with, you know, close your eyes, think about your intentions, think about what your goals are for today. And then we ended every day of camp with close your eyes, take a moment of gratitude. What are you thankful for? What did you get to experience? This isn't what you, you didn't have to come here today. You got to come here today. And I think if, I don't know, I hope it made a difference for them. It certainly made a difference for me. Yeah. What do you say in those moments of intention and gratitude? What, what is it that comes to your mind first with those? Uh, with my mind, my intention, as far as a practice goes, is to make it so that every player on my field has a positive experience. But, you know, I want to make sure that I, I have patience. I have kindness. I give them my best and they don't let, you know, the ugly comes out sometimes and that's, you know, that's the reality we're human but you know for me to identify that what is happening like if I start to go down that path like whoop, pull it in you know let's get back on the positive track and that every day we we make what we get one step closer to being our best selves that's my intentions for every practice nice what do you say in the moments of gratitude what's the what's the affirmation that comes to your mind for that one I'm always thankful for health safety well-being, um, for the safety of my players, you know, when we get through a practice and nobody gets hurt. Um, I think that's always a big deal. I've been through my own health ups and downs in, you know, over the years. And I think, you know, knowing that I'm able-bodied and I'm grateful, I'm grateful for the gift of coaching. Like mm -hmm. to me, this is, I feel like coaching and teaching isn't a job. It's a career, it's a calling. And I'm so thankful for that chance. I'm thankful to be with, you know, my gratitude is often like <laughs> for my girls who bring so much joy to my heart. Like even, you know, when I'm at camp, if it's the little ones who say just the funniest things and, you know, I drive home and because I have a long drive, I reflect on all those things. And I think, oh my God, like I'm grateful because I get to do what I love every day and, and no one is, 
making me do it. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's amazing. And I think something that you brought up about the importance of health and how kind of fragile that can be once you realize how it, uh, for me, the summer, how much a sprained ankle can completely, you know, alter my course of the summer, my training, that kind of thing, how much you have to overcome. Something that got me through quarantine, it was an affirmation, kind of a gratitude affirmation. It was, I would write and I would say to myself every morning, I'm so grateful for an able body that loves to move. And I think that this got me through this singular phrase. Now looking back on it, I think it got me through the entire quarantine period and the summer leading up to my freshman year of of college. It's so powerful. I mean, they say to us as athletes all the time, you know, it's, it's so much of it is in your head and I'm a believer. you, You need skill. You need aptitude. Yes. But at the same time, I think you need head, you need heart as much as anything else. Yeah. And for me, I think I needed to believe in myself that I did have an able body. Like sometimes my body was not feeling great. But, you know, every morning I was like, I have an able body that loves to move. And I would align myself with that. Like I noticed myself, you know, more smoothies, more health, like really kind of aligning my actions with that single sentence. Yeah. And that's interesting you say that because I've been, I've been studying strength and conditioning um, since I got home. I think I told you about that. I'm not sure if I did, but, and one of, so I listened to a strength and conditioning podcast from the National Strength and Conditioning Association, and they interview strength and conditioning coaches all over the country and many, many walks of life. And the interviewer often asks the coaches he's interviewing, you know, um, what's one bit of advice you would give at other people in this field? And, and what's one coaching practice you would eliminate if you could? And one of the things that one of the interviewees said, and it stuck out to me, I thought it was so profound. Does your behavior align with your philosophy? Like what's your coaching philosophy? And do your actions line up with that philosophy? And I was like, I, it's so simple, but I've literally never thought about it. And all of these years, like, so it forced me to sit down and write down, what is my coaching philosophy? Like what, and what are my behaviors? Do those things match up? And if they don't, how can I fix them? Yeah, definitely. When did you start writing down things? Like, f- cause for me, I started journaling, I think maybe sophomore year of high school, every single night, never stopped. It's the only thing that keeps me sane. I just put it down on the paper. I write my goals down. We'll get into that in a later episode. Um, <laughs> when did you start doing that and how has it changed? How does it impact you? I started journaling when I was, as soon as I could write when I was a little nice. kid. Yeah. And my mother saved my journals from when I was little. And, um, and that me, I maintain that all the way through, oh my God, college, um, grad school. I remember I dated somebody who went to law school at Columbia and I was in my second year of teaching at the time. And so I got to, when I was done, I was teaching in Wayne, New Jersey, which is, um, right next to Patterson, which is pretty urban. But I was always really excited because when I was done teaching, I got to drive into New York City and, uh, you know, and, and wait and, you know, for her to get done with her classes. And I would go to coffee shops and, and like having grown up in New Jersey, you know, we, we would go into New York as kids. New York wasn't a great place when I was a kid. It was, you know, not what it is now. And I didn't appreciate it for what it was. But as I, 
you know, now that I was in my twenties and I was like, Ooh, like I'm getting to experience the big city. I took advantage of every moment and I wrote feverishly like every afternoon, like journal after journal after journal. Uh, and I did it all through my coaching. Like I, w- I would get on the bus after every game when I was a lacrosse coach and a basketball coach. And I would write down my reflections about the game, you know, what mistakes I made, how I could fix them. And I did it for years and years and years and years. Interestingly enough, in the last probably 10 years, I have kind of switched from like the deep journaling where it's reflective and meditative and descriptive and pages and pages and pages to now um, making lists and okay. bullet and uh, that's, I felt guilty about it for a while. Like, yeah. oh, I missed that journaling. Like, it, but then I was like, no, 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 no. I think you have to change your perspective about it. I'm evolving. And this is a different type of journaling that I'm doing. And it's the, the type that's effective for me now at this place in my life. So after once embracing that, and, you know, I, I was with somebody for a while. I had a roommate who um, used to say that guilt is self-imposed and, I, that has stuck with me. And I thought, you know, I, I try to apply it every time. Like, Oh, I feel so guilty. And I'm like, no, no, no. You're making yourself feel guilty. You don't have to feel that way. So let it go and just embrace this new way of writing. And, and it really has worked for me. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it seems as you go through life, it, if your journaling was stagnant, if how you were thinking was stagnant, you wouldn't really be evolving or you would kind of be limiting that growth as opposed to doing what the purpose of journaling for me at least is, is kind of like self-reflecting and growing from that. That space in between has kind of been something in my life that I've really cherished. And I've even stayed up late into the night when I didn't have that time during the day. How do you choose to use that space in between and how do you kind of optimize your time in that way? Um, I think because I'm not a time waster, I like to make the most of the time that I have toward personal growth. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are times I, I, I think the first step is to identify the space, to know that you're in it, you know, um, to live fully in the moments when you're active, to be present when you're with people to, and then when you're not with people and you have that solitude or that quietude to be present with yourself. And to know that that's a time where you can be doing that kind of work. You know, a lot of people, I don't even think realize that that can be, that that time can be used for that purpose of personal growth. One of my closest friends is a deeply spiritual person and she meditates every day, twice a day. And Mm -hmm. when she got into meditation, she had just lost her mother. You know, she was really young to lose her mom. And so she learned healing through meditation. And it was amazing to see. And I always said to her, God, I don't know if I'm capable of meditating. I'm too high energy. I can't, you know, they can't focus like that. And she said, Kate, you don't realize when you're meditating, like when you're in the car and you are allowing your thoughts to move freely, that's a form of meditation. And I thought, Oh my God, like, I guess I'm a champ at it then. (laughs) But you know, that when you know that you have space in between things and you have that gap, like an hour commute is, is not always easy. And sometimes for me, it's upwards of three hours, depending on traffic, because traffic in the metropolitan area is pretty tough. But you know, if, if I can take that space 
to learn and to grow. And like, I listen to podcasts on nutrition. I listen to podcasts on, I listen to books. I'm a huge audiobook fan. You know, I'll listen to TED Talks that my students sent me that they're like, oh, you know, Brent, I thought you'd really like this. And, you know, I, I, I hope that all teachers take the same approach, but like, I can learn as much from my students as they can learn from me. So if, you know, they find a TED talk on um, last year in particular, I had a, a young woman who was from Palestine. And when we did our unit on Islam, she sent me a bunch of stuff about uh, Palestinian women and I couldn't get enough of it. Like, so, and, and that space to me, that hour commute, what a gift for me to be alone and have that time where I can really zero in on whatever it is that I want to learn that day or however I want to grow in that moment. Like, I think the most important thing is knowing that you're in the space and then knowing the way that you will be able to grow in that space because each one of us grows differently, you know, and that's, it's one of the things I've learned about nutrition. Like, you know, there have been fads out there forever. When I was your age, I hopped onto the um, fat-free fad because I had major food issues when I was in high school. I had an eating disorder. And, you know, that was the way I thought I was getting my health back. So I just didn't eat any fat. And my, was that stupid. Like now I look back on it and I'm like, I wish I had the sense of mind then that I do now. And so now as I'm learning more and more about food and nutrition and health and wellness, like there's no one size fits all. Everybody's body's different. Everybody's style is different. We're all going to respond differently to different things. And I think embracing that in terms of meditation and, and uh, growth, I think, you know, that's important too. We have to know that we all grow in different ways. Yeah. So do you meditate, um, formal meditation now? No. Not in the formal, not in the like, close your eyes, find your center. No, that, that, that doesn't, at this point in my life, that's not something that works for me. And I, I have great respect for people that do. And I I used to be like, I wish I could do that. But again, like I don't, because I have my own form of meditation. I can meditate when I'm cooking. Like I love to cook and I disappear when I'm cooking and my thoughts that go from here to here to here to here to here. And it's, you know, when I'm done getting a meal organized, I'm like, oh my God, I feel fabulous. And I think it's because I gave my brain the freedom and the space to do what it wanted to do. And right. to, yeah, you know, that flow state is one that I know well with journaling and that kind of thing. I agree. I do agree that, that you can get that state in basically anything you do in which you are mindful and, you know, allowing yourself to not be boxed into a certain, you know, category in that moment of, I can just kind of be free and allow myself to do whatever I want to do, think whatever comes up, that kind of thing. Yeah. Before we wrap up this segment and we transition into our closing segment, as a leader, educator, mentor, how can we as students and the younger generation, younger people, how can we lead from where we are now? Now with all of our struggles, our insecurities, Oh, well, I think the first thing is to identify that you are in it for each other. And I think that that's a tough thing to do. You know, I think young people, as you are growing and learning yourselves, it's important that you are egocentric at that mo- at that point in your life. Like you, you're just figuring out who you are and how you want to navigate the world, what you believe in, what you don't believe in, you know, how you are in line with your parents, where you differ from your parents, like what your world situation is. And 
you know, what you want out of life. I think all of those things start really flooding your heart and your brain when you're a teenager and, and they don't necessarily go away. I think what happens is you become more cognizant of your answers to those questions. And so for you as, you know, this generation that is up against it, because you are, and, and every generation is up against it in certain ways. I'm not going to say that um, your particular generation is unique in that regard, but you are unique in that the generations before you have made a great many mistakes and the world is, um, is going to put a lot of pressure on you. And knowing that, embracing that, not being afraid of that, um, and those are very easy to say very hard to feel and do. I think that's the first step, knowing that you as a generation have to be in it together um, because the one size fits all isn't going to work. And there are going to be classmates among you that are natural born leaders that are willing to just inherently willing to and understand how to stand up and speak, how to advocate, how to be strong, um, have a presence, aren't afraid of failing. And, you know, those, those are, e as a teacher, it's easy to see that in the beginning. But that doesn't mean that there aren't other leaders among them and that each person is going to have their own leadership style. And learning how to work with other people is arguably the most important thing I think anybody can do. Um, you know, and sometimes knowing that you don't want to be a leader is okay too. Yeah. You know, not everybody is, you know, if you're forging off in a battle, some people just want to be told what to do and they don't want to have to make those choices and decisions. And that doesn't mean they're weak. Identifying that to me means they're strong and maybe there's a different capacity where they're going to be leaders. Maybe they'll be spiritual leaders or intellectual leaders or philosophical leaders or emotional leaders. Like maybe they'll be the ones that have open arms and a big heart and can wrap their, those arms around other people when they're hurting, you know, or they can soften the blow for those who are in the front. You know, they're not, everybody has to be a leader. And at least in that sense, listening is something I would say to every, every child I've ever been around, just make sure. And I need this advice in my life too. You listen more than you talk because you would be surprised at how much you can learn when you just zip it and you give other people the platform, um, you know, and, and as you're, you know, you and people in your age are getting to know yourselves, you know, you, you don't necessarily realize how much the world around you can teach you if you are willing to let it. We have our hands full right now. And my hope is that we can make this world a better place for the young to inherit. Um, and that's, that's going to require leadership, but I think more than that, it's gonna require cooperation. Yeah, and I think cooperation at this point in time, it, to me seems more difficult than ever before. I don't know if many other young people would agree with me on that one, or disagree but it feels like social media that kind of thing always like product-based you know create creativity is now product-based everything is putting something out there for the world to see right not you kind of lose yourself and in, in that you lose yourself but you grow this big ego it seems like because you're you have yourself on such a high platform that 
it might be hard for you to see something differently. And so thank you so much because I feel like this really kind of allowed us to take a step back and kind of take new information in from a new point of view. So thank yeah. you. Yeah. Oh my God, of course. As our visionary guest of the week, I have a rapid fire round of quick vision questions for you before we wrap up. So um, please close your eyes and just respond with the first thing that comes to mind and you have to do it in one word or one sentence. Okay. Okay. We'll start really heavy. What is your favorite food? Watermelon. (laughs) Best part about sports? Endorphins. Most powerful word? Love. Advice for a young visionary in one sentence? Always have hope. Nice. Okay, that is all we have for the vision round. And okay. that's all we have for today. Okay. Um, thank you so much, Kate. And to everyone out there listening, I hope this conversation inspires you to see life a little bit differently and to unlock your own inner visionary. If you value this episode, please be sure to follow for more. Mm-hmm.